Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. It's Thursday afternoon. You're sitting there going, my goodness, Lord, I need a word. Come on, give me something here. God has never failed. He always comes up with what has to be said. And often enough, again, I tell my students, what's written here on this piece of paper is on a piece of paper. What comes out of the preacher's mouth, that's God-inspired. That's the spirit enters into it. And there are sometimes I've written a homily and I look at it and I go, Lord, this is the best I could do this week. It was a heck of a week, you know? But as I always say, walking into the church, I go, Lord, I am about to come into your house. I have what I have. I prepared the best of my ability. Give me your words. It's got to be your word that comes to the people today. Let me feed your people with your word. God's always been there. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we welcome Deacon Steve Kramer. Steve was ordained a deacon in 1994 for the Diocese of Rockville Center in New York. He is now incarnated with the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He holds a master's degree in theology, a doctorate in preaching and communication, and he teaches homiletics, leads retreats, and writes. Steve, welcome to Preach. It is indeed a pleasure to be with you all. Thank you for inviting me. I should also say you've been married to Jerry for 45 years. You have four children and a grandchild. You all live in southeastern Wisconsin, and you love to go on road trips. Love road trips. <laughs> love the unexpected. <laughs> so one of the things you shared with me that I found really interesting, you said that the best formation you've ever had <laughs> were the four years you drove a taxi and a limo every summer during the school year when you were studying. You said, that's where I truly learned about human nature and the art of listening. Tell me about that experience. What an insight. Well, they say that for every priest, minister, rabbi, whatever, there's only a few different jobs that you could really have that helps you to understand human beings. And that is either a cab driver, a bartender, or a hairdresser. Because in any one of those occupations, people come and go they sit, they open their heart, and pretty much they figure out that they'll never see you again. So they open up in a different way. And it's fascinating how during the course of any single day, I would have 15, 20, 30 people in and out of my vehicle, and you had some really great conversations. And you heard some pretty harrowing stories as well. So it really prepared me for pastoral counseling. As a deacon, of course, I can't hear a confession. I hear a lot of things. I can't give absolution, but there is quite a bit of give and take. In a lot of ways, it really prepared me for my ministry. It was great. Wow. 
Well, it's interesting you say that because I can think of many an Uber trip <laughs> where I've had the Uber driver share you know, quite intimately things about themselves when they hear that I'm a priest. So that's a very interesting way to think about it. Let's turn to the matter for this episode. We've actually asked you to preach on the readings for the third Sunday in Lent, year A, because for those who are being baptized at Easter and then received into the church through the process of RCIA or OCIA, as we might call it now, they will go through the process of what we call scrutinies. And the scrutinies happen the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent. And we use, for that purpose, the readings for year A. But if parishes don't have anybody being baptized at the Easter Vigil, they will continue with year B. But I thought it was important for us to look at the scrutinies because in so many parishes, pastors are thinking about, what do I say to those who are going to be baptized and received at this time? So we've asked you to reflect on year A readings. Tell me, what is the year A reading for this week? Well, for this week, it's going to be the Samaritan woman at the well. And realistically, it is a fascinating reading. This really, to me, is always the gospel of encounter. Mm. It's where Jesus comes to this woman at a very specific moment in time, and this woman is open to hearing God. And this particular reading is where a relationship is forming. Very, very simply, they come at things from two different angles, and yet at the end of it, this woman understands who Jesus is, that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah. And she comes to understand who she is, and she becomes comfortable with herself. So in your own community, you have two people being baptized at the Easter Vigil. Tell me about this community where you minister. Well, the community that I'm at, I'm actually a, a citizen of many nations. <laughs> I'm at the seminary, so I teach full-time at the seminary and also preach here at the seminary as well. But on the weekends, I have two parishes that I'm assigned to. My main parish is uh, St. Matthew in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And we have another parish that we are combined with, and that is St. Mary on the Lake that is in a town called Caledonia. The one in Caledonia is a smaller parish, older, graying community. We have some children there, but I would say small, maybe 300 families. And it's, it's a wonderful little community. The other one, St. Matthew, which is our main parish, we have about 1,100 families. We have a school, 250 kids in a school, and it's a pretty vibrant community. We have continuous, ongoing education for people. We have Eucharistic adoration. We've got a pretty good amount of baptisms. But the communities have been going through RCIA and OCIA, as we call it now, for many years. I personally have been involved in RCIA for probably close to 40 years right now. Hmm. So it's a process and, and a program that's near and dear to my heart because realistically, this must have been how the early church was. People made an adult conscious decision to come into the church. They wanted to follow Christ. They had other people in the church who modeled for them what it was to be a Christian. They learned the word of God. They learned how to pray together, to take meals together. And then they were brought into the church on a Easter vigil. Well, Steve, I'm eager to hear what you've prepared for us and to talk a little more about OCIA once I've heard your homily. We will now hear Steve Kramer's homily for the third Sunday in Lent, Year A, the first scrutiny, especially recorded for Preach. Over the past six months, you've probably noticed that at the 10 o'clock Mass, there's two people who are called up to the front of the church right after the homily and before the creed. 
And you might have asked yourself, who are these people? And why are they leaving Mass this early? They're even escaping before the collection. Bill and Sue are catechumens. Those are those who are under instruction. They're people who are discerning entry into the Catholic Church. And when they're dismissed from Mass, they go downstairs to what we call the Saints Room, and together with their sponsor and some other people from the team, they, what we call, break open the Word of God. That is, they spend some time reading, rereading, analyzing, praying, pondering the scriptures that they just heard, and how it affects their lives, especially their life of faith in Christ. Now, Bill and Sue are preparing to receive all of what we call the initiation sacraments at Easter. They will be baptized, they'll receive confirmation, and Holy Communion at the Easter Vigil, all three sacraments in one evening. And today, right after I finish this homily, we're going to celebrate a very special rite with them called a scrutiny, kind of a strange word. But a scrutiny is a rite that has the specific spiritual purpose of self-searching and repentance. And these prayers and these words that we're going to share with them are going to be reinforced by an exorcism. So don't get too carried away, because once we hear the word exorcism, our minds tend to go to the 1973 movie, The Exorcist, with the little girl's head spinning around and spewing out all kinds of things. But, like I say, if you'd like to go to the magic Google, you'll see that the definition of an exorcism is the expulsion or attempted expulsion of an evil spirit from a personal place. And throughout the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus healed many people by touch, by word or command, and by exorcism. So this scrutiny is meant to uncover and to drive out anything that's sinful in their hearts. It will also strengthen everything that's strong and good. And the scrutiny is celebrated so that they are delivered from the power of Satan and the power of sin and given strength through Jesus Christ. So it's important that all of us get a handle on the power and importance of the scrutinies. Scrutinies, plural. There are three of them. Today, on the third Sunday of Lent, and there's two more, one on the fourth and one on the fifth Sunday of the Lenten season. And each one of these special rites has a very specific passage from the Gospel of John to accompany it. Today, we just heard the Samaritan woman at the well. Next week, we're going to hear the man born blind. And finally, on the fifth Sunday of Lent, we'll hear the story of the raising of Lazarus. And each story allows Bill and Sue to examine their life with Christ to see themselves in relation to the characters in the scripture, and to strengthen their resolve to turn away from sin and to be baptized. Because to make that decision to be baptized, that's a continuation of discernment. Is this really where God is calling me? So each week, their resolve to be baptized gets stronger and stronger. However, there's more. Sounds like one of those commercials on TV, right? Wait, there's more. And the more is that these stories touch each of our lives each of our lives, the entire congregation. Because when we watch the two of them come forward and make this decision to move forward to be baptized as adults, it makes us go into our own relationship with God. It makes us go deep to ask us to turn away from sin, to accept the gospel and the teachings of Christ. So we are challenged by these two people who have made such a clear-cut, conscious, adult decision to follow Jesus. Think back in your life. Has there ever been a time where Jesus has made himself known to you specifically? Maybe it was in the passage of Scripture sometime. You read something and it just, just kind of hit you. Maybe it was a homily. Perhaps Jesus revealed himself through the kind word of a friend or a family member, or sometimes even a perfect stranger. But the readings of the scrutinies do just this. 
Jesus engages people, opens their hearts, opens their minds, and allows them to see God's active presence in the world, and therefore allow us to make changes to our lives. When we listen to this passage about the Samaritan woman at the well, it brings to mind the image of a chance encounter. And I dare say that most of us have had this chance encounter sometime in our life. You meet somebody at the supermarket standing online, and all of a sudden you engage in a conversation. Maybe it's at the drugstore. You're out taking your dog for a walk in the park. And a conversation begins. Sometimes it's just small talk. Other times, a complete stranger just opens up to us. Or maybe we open up to them for some unknown reason. And it reminds me of the Hebrew word kara. Kana means to meet, to encounter, to happen. And today, there's an encounter. There's an encounter at Jacob's well in Samaria. We've got Jesus, a Jew, and an unnamed woman, a Samaritan, and they meet at noon. There are several obstacles to overcome for this meeting to occur. Number one, she's a woman, Jesus is a man. In our world today, at least in the Western world, that would never be a problem. But in first century Palestine, the rabbis taught that a man was not to engage in conversation with a woman in the street, not in public, not even his own wife. Now, this is a meeting that takes place in a very public place, at a well where crowds of people gather. Second obstacle, she's a Samaritan, Jesus is a Jew. Jews and Samaritans are like oil and water. They just don't mix well. Always separated. There's a long history of tension, of hatred, of hostility between these two groups for hundreds of years. Both of their tribal histories, their cultures, and their traditions made it almost impossible to agree with anything that the other said or the other believed. Number three, the encounter takes place at noon. This is the hottest part of the day. Jesus is exhausted from the trip. He's thirsty. He's hungry. His friends have gone into town for food and provisions, and they took all the equipment with them. He doesn't even have a bucket to get any water. He's stuck. He's tired. He's got to wait for them to get back. Most likely, he's not looking to engage in any major conversation with anybody, just looking to rest. The woman, she's coming to the well at the worst possible time of the day, high noon. It would be really difficult to draw water and carry it back home in the blazing heat. There's a reason why she's there at this point in time. Who would want to be there at this point? Most likely, she's there because she doesn't want to engage with others in the early morning or the early evening when it would be cooler. Perhaps she did not or could not be part of those conversations with the fellow villagers. And what unfolds is this wonderful interchange whereby there's this deepening intimacy between them. As Jesus talks, he brings to light who he truly is, the Christ, the Messiah. And as the woman speaks, there's a movement to where she accepts who she is. Her life has been, well, let's say, colorful, to say the least. And while we don't have all the exact details, her life has deeply affected the woman and all those in her village. But Jesus allows the woman to come to the realization that her life could be so much more. He takes her to a place in life that she never dreamed possible, a place of love and forgiveness and healing and compassion. And this is part of the encounter that Bill and Sue have had during the year. They've sat with Jesus in prayer. They've listened to his word. They've been open to change and repentance. And to be honest, I have been honored and privileged to have been part of this RCI process for about 40 years now. I could share with you a lot of encounter stories, but there's one of them that stands out for me, and that's my friend Bob. This is quite a number of years ago. Bob came into my life 
we met after a church function. I can't tell you off the top of my head if it was a baptism or a wedding. We started chatting. Bob is just a great guy. I kind of knew him peripherally through our business dealings. And he was a member of a small local church, but he was really intrigued with Catholic ritual, traditions, and our understanding of scripture. Our conversation lasted probably for two years, just back and forth every time we'd meet for different things. And one day he said, you know, I really think I'd like to enter the Catholic church. Tell me more about this RCIA process. And he entered the church and it was wonderful. The man, I'm telling you, he was like a living sponge. <laughs> he soaked up everything he possibly could. And as he soaked up everything he possibly could, his life changed dramatically. His relationship with his wife, with his children, with his co-workers. This guy was on fire for the Lord, let me tell you. And at his baptism that Easter, the man, I, he was just literally beaming when he was baptized. It was incredible. The following year, he became a sponsor. And then he walked the journey to the font with another man. I was just so impressed with how God had grasped Bob and really turned him into an ambassador for Christ, just like the woman at the well. What did she do? When she found out who Jesus was, she didn't just keep it to herself. She ran. She ran back. She had to tell everybody what was going on. And that's how Bob was. My hope and my dream was that in a couple of years, I was hoping that we could get him to come into the seminary for the diaconate. I thought he would be awesome. He was engaging people all the time and just bringing God's light to others. One of these people, you meet somebody like this once in your life. And one day, his company asked him to accept a promotion. It was a really good thing for his career, but he had to move down south to Virginia. And although he really didn't want to leave his community of faith, it was important for his career and, and for his family, really, to take this position. So we had a going-away gathering for him, and then he moved. And it wasn't a year later that Bob fell ill. And his wife called and said that Bob had developed cancer, and it was very aggressive. Bob and I chatted several times as illness progressed. He was always positive, but he wondered why, at 38 years old, his life would be cut short, especially now that he had found this new relationship with God. I traveled down to celebrate Bob's life after his passing, and the local priest was just what a super, super person. He was warm and accommodating. He too had felt the love of God and Bob. I preached and presided at the wake service. I preached at the funeral mass. And after each service, the wake service and the funeral mass, at least 50 people at each place came to me. They stopped to talk, to tell me how even though they had only known Bob for a short time, he had helped them change their lives. That Bob was instrumental in helping people come to Jesus, to return to Jesus, or to get right with the Lord. This man was the king of encounter. He was unbelievable. It just God's grace just flowed right out of him. It's incredible. Whomever he met, he connected to Christ. And ultimately, Bob's story is our story. Bill and Sue's story is our story. The Samaritan woman at the well is our story. And brothers and sisters, today, as we come to the altar this morning to be fed and nourished by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we recall the encounter at the well. And with patience and encouragement, the Samaritan woman was able to have this intimate conversation with Jesus, and it changed her life. Allow yourselves to have that intimate conversation with Jesus. Let God change your life. He wants to do that. He's open to that. He's waiting for you to have that encounter. This Lent, allow ourselves to be open to engage Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes it's through others. But whatever it might be, we never know the plans that God has in store for us. Enjoy Lent and be open to the ride. That was Steve Kramer for Preach. After the break, we'll hear how Steve embraces the opportunity to weave personal experience and catechesis into the homily. Welcome back to Preach. Before we move on to our conversation with Steve, a few words from our sponsors. Do you want to be a master preacher? If so, Aquinas Institute of Theology's Doctor of Ministry in Preaching program will help you become the kind of preacher the Church so desperately needs today. Grounded in the charism of the Order of Preachers, the Aquinas program is the only Catholic program of its kind in the United States, and its graduates hold leadership roles in preaching and teaching throughout the world. The Aquinas cohort model is designed to accommodate a full-time minister's busy schedule, including both in-person and virtual components, where students work together in a close-knit, supportive community. Applications are now being accepted for the 2024 cohort, which begins this summer. Visit ai.edu forward slash dmin for more information. Boston College School of Theology and Ministry recently announced a new certificate program called Courage to Preach, starting in summer 2024. Designed to equip ministers, particularly campus and parish ministers, to integrate the riches of our faith with the crucial challenges of our time, participants will learn to utilize scripture and Catholic social teaching to preach on contemporary issues such as racial and environmental justice. The program will engage diverse audiences in dynamic methods for preaching, teaching, and facilitating faith and justice activities, particularly attuned to the techniques most effective for reaching young adults. This hybrid program takes place in person at Boston College over two summers and online for one module during the winter in between. To learn more, visit bc.edu forward slash preach today. Welcome back to Preach. Steve, I was encouraged in your homily because you drew on real-life examples from your community, and we don't often hear that in a homily. I, as the preacher, might reflect on my own experience. I might tell a story from somewhere in the distant past, or I'll anonymize something, but I will seldom speak about somebody in the community by name. I wonder if you can talk to me about your own process and how you come to this decision. I mean, it makes sense to me that maybe you would raise Bill and Sue, but that you included Bob was very heartwarming to hear somebody who has impacted clearly on your mm -hmm. life. Well, first off the bat, Bill and Sue are not their real names. <laughs> I did not give the names for the podcast, <laughs> to be honest. Mm -hmm. But you know, we have people who are going through the RCA at my parish today. But when you preach it, you will say the names of the people? Oh, sure. Sure, whoever the people would be. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, especially in the RCIA, for people in the community to realize who these folks are and that they have made this, this tremendous decision. That, to me, is super powerful. And I can see why you would name Sue and Bob, right? Even though it's not Sue and Bob, but I can see why you would name the catechumens by name. Sure. I'm more interested in this question of when we tell the stories of people in our congregation. Right, Because so often 
by talking about them, we're divulging details of their lives. And do we need to find ways in which we've checked in with them and asked for permission? You know, how do you make that decision to tell the story of somebody in the community? That's a very good question because realistically, a preacher will find out what's going on in a community through, in your particular case, through confession, mm. my particular case, through pastoral counseling. And I would never tell somebody's story in front. I just would never do that. Now, of course, we're all human beings and people lie and cheat and steal and people have affairs. We're all human beings. So there might be something that's going on in a particular community, whatever that situation may be, that has affected numerous people. And therefore, you could take that situation and put that into your homily and utilize that by saying, this is what we're dealing with right now. I mean, I can tell you that going way back when we had a particular situation back in New York, and we had six teenage suicides, death by train, where the kids walked out, knelt down in front of the train, and mm. were squashed by the train. Well, how do I not talk about that in a homily? Because this is foremost in the minds of the parishioners, the people in the community, not only in the Catholic community, but in the Methodist church and everybody else you know, who would be there. That has to be addressed. Mm. If it's issues of perhaps you know, mass immigration, it affects people, we need to talk about that. If it is you know, things we know, perhaps it's the issues with crime or whatever. The thing is, is that if you go into some of the documents of the church that are very, very powerful, there were three major things that have come out over the years. One of them is a thing called Fulfilled in Your Hearing. This was written, it came out in the 80s initially. And this particular document focused on the assembly, focused on the preacher, and it really focused on homily preparation. But one of the things that it states is that the preacher must be willing to address the community and to name the demons that the community faces. What are the demons that the community is facing? And sometimes you just have to say it like it is. And just from a personal point of view, as I teach my permanent deacon candidates, I always tease to say, never bring your wife or your kids into your homily because somebody's going to get mad. <laughs> you'll, you'll always be on the short end of the stick. <laughs> but I do think there's something powerful to what you've done, which is to name the person, right? And it makes them more real than speaking about it in kind of general terms. Yes. Our community is plagued by death by suicide. Our community is plagued by, you know, the death of Stephen this week. It just makes it real for the people. You said earlier, we're all human beings, right? We have a human experience. You told me that story about being a limo driver. And what is it that you learned about not only your ministry as a deacon, but especially your ministry as a preacher? from those years shuttling people back and forth? As you can tell, I'm very much an extrovert. Welcome to the club. <laughs> However, what I have learned is that I need to go to my introverted side to learn how to listen. That's a key thing, because in listening, we learn what somebody else needs, wants, or desires. Once you understand that, you could be a great fill-in-the-blank here. You could be a great salesperson, because people tell you what they want. They'll tell you what they want to buy, what they want to spend, and how soon they want it. As a minister, when you listen to people, they'll tell you what it is they're looking for, what their difficulty is with the church, what their difficulty is with their spouse, whatever it might be. And then you have to figure out what it is that they really want. Because we start here, but then just like the woman at the well, 
It's like the proverbial onion. You start peeling it back a little bit. You ask a question, you go a little deeper, you go a little deeper. And that's the thing is that the only way that you can really be a good preacher is you have to know what's going on in the lives of your parishioners. You can't talk in generalities. One of the things I give all of my seminarians here in the Sacred Heart, when they turn in a homily to me before they preach, I look at it and I go, okay, this is great, but it's too general. We must renew our minds because we are in the season of Lent. Okay, that's awesome. How do we do that? What does it mean to renew our minds? Can you give me an example? Is it going to be through the Lenten practices? Is it going to be prayer? Is it going to be almsgiving? Is it going to be fasting? And if it is, how do we do this? Any kind of concrete example is always powerful because then people can say, oh, I understand. We need to speak to our people in language they understand and then upgrade the understanding. You know, I always have a, a line I use in class all the time. If I talk to somebody about, we're going to sit down together at the eschatological banquet, well, some people might think they're going to the Golden Corral, you know, that they're going to a, a buffet place. But then when you explain what eschatology is, that it's the end times, this is the end of time where God will bring everybody together. Well, now you've used this particular $3 word, but you have also instructed your people, and now you can use that again in, in future homilies, that hopefully they'll remember this, or you just reiterate it once again. So I learned a new word on the previous episode of Preach with Carla Bellinger, who introduced herself as a homiletician and not a homilist, she says. <laughs> you are both a homiletician and a homilist in that you teach this art of homiletics, you teach preaching. What would you say to your seminarians when they come to you with this homily that's altogether too general? What is your advice for them to you know, connect it to the reality of people? It's interesting because I have a wide range of students. At Sacred Heart, we also have a niche market for older seminarians. So I have students here who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. I have two guys who are in their 70s studying for the priesthood. I've got a couple of fellows who are, they've been permanent deacons for 30 years. Their wives have passed on. Their bishop has been supportive of them, moved them towards priesthood, and that's wonderful. But they bring a whole nether lifestyle with them, and they're more apt to use specific experiences because they've lived that. They've had that kind of a life. The younger fellows who are only in their 20s, let's say, and perhaps have gone straight through from high school, college, seminary, and will be ordained at 27, they just haven't lived that part of life yet. You know, 10 years from now, they're going to be awesome because they will have had those experiences. So it takes them a little bit longer to reach for some of the experiences that they can connect with. But it's easy enough to do once you explain what we're looking for. So, you know, it could be a sports analogy. Of course, if you're in Wisconsin, it's got to be the Packers, you know, and you've, you've got to use that. But people will respect that and they'll, they'll go with it. But typically, I tell them, think about things that have happened in your family. What have you done in your part-time jobs? Look beyond the seminary world because you're only preaching to seminarians for the next year or two. After that, you're preaching to, quote, regular people. How are you going to preach to somebody who's, you know, 40-year-old, guy that works in a factory, whatever else, and a 50-year-old man who drives a school bus and whomever. But those are your parishioners. And you have to be able to relate to them to things that they will understand. Mm -hmm. A lot of it comes to us through where you're located. Are you in an urban environment, suburban environment, or a rural environment? Before coming to Wisconsin, I spent four years in a diocese of Portland, Maine. It's pretty rural. <laughs> the entire state is one diocese. And I had three parishes in a 40-mile radius, 
My job was to be the pastoral care director of a big 138-bed nursing facility. Tremendous amount of experience there. It was awesome. But one of my parishes, I had people there who were still trapping foxes and beavers and selling pelts. I mean, this is like the 17th century, you know? (laughs) Personally, I couldn't relate because of the fact that I've never really hunted foxes and beavers and skinned them, you know? But I learned about it, and I spent time with these folks, and I went into the woods with those who were cutting trees for a living, the people who were raising buffaloes and whatever else, and all of a sudden, I had a whole new life and a new appreciation for people. And again, by being just like Pope Francis says, you've got to smell like the sheep and be with the sheep. If you don't do that, if you hide out in the rectory somewhere, you'll never know your people. So you've got to spend time. And once you do, people will embrace you. People will love you because you care. And the caring comes in a lot of ways. I mean, I can only say that, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, in the Latino community. Hablo español a poco solamente. I speak a little bit of Spanish. I know enough to be dangerous. But whatever I can do, the folks will appreciate it because I try to make the effort to do that. I spent a year in the Italian National Parish. I learned enough all my responses in Italian. Why? Most of the people spoke English, but they knew how to pray in Italian. And they appreciated that I could begin, Nomara Padre, Figlio, Spirito Santo, and do my parts of the Mass. I don't speak the language fluently. I can read biblical Hebrew. So I can do a lot of the prayers in Hebrew. Back in New York, I celebrated 45, 50 Jewish Catholic weddings. And I could do some of the stuff in Hebrew. Again, trying to make the connections between two different communities. Wherever we can make these connections, that's where Christ is present. Christ comes to us in the Eucharist. Christ comes to us in his word and really comes to us through each other. Let's talk about connections. You needed to make a few connections in this particular homily. Obviously, the connection to the catechumens, Bob and Sue. But in relation to them, you needed to connect the congregation. Yes. And so there was really an opportunity for catechesis, which is not the usual place for catechesis, right? The homily. Catechesis can be done in the homily. But why did you make that decision to explain the process of the scrutinies on this particular Sunday? Well, this was the first of the scrutinies, so that people will be seeing this for the next couple of weeks. Number two, you may have a year where you have catechumens, but you may have a couple of years where you don't. You only have candidates. So even though somebody might have seen this once before, it could have been two, three, four years ago. So while a homily is not specifically catechetical, it's not a scripture lesson, it's not a history lesson, it may have elements of each depending upon what is necessary. So in this particular homily, it was necessary, I felt, to explain what the scrutiny is, to remind the people that these people are catechumens, that they're very specific. They're going to be baptized and make communion and confirmation, just to allow the people to really get a handle on what's going on in that particular day. Because all they see is two people getting up, being dismissed, and going off someplace, and they never see them again (laughs) until next week. The history of these scrutinies, it's somewhat complicated, and I don't need to go into the whole of church history. But, you know, at one point we had 40 exorcisms. So (laughs) each day of Lent, the catechumens would go through an exorcism leading up to Easter. Then it became seven exorcisms and now to this idea (laughs) of three scrutinies. But we talk about exorcisms, and you made light of it, right? You spoke about the film The Exorcist. And there's a real danger, I think, that our preaching can then become focused simply on sin and on a very negative image of what it is to want to become Catholic. And so 
How do you steer that line where you clearly mention that it's about repentance and moving on from sin, but at the same time, it's connected to the mystery of God's love? Well, you know, the season of Lent, realistically, is a season of repentance. And starting with Ash Wednesday, with the readings from Joel, it's a very specific time of Greek. We go metanoia, the 180-degree turn. In Hebrew, the word shuv, which means to turn or return, or really to embrace God. And a lot of that, really, you can see that in the rite of baptism, too, over and over again. You know, do you reject sin? Do you reject Satan? These are things that we don't talk about too much in terms of homiletics. We don't talk about it, perhaps, in a Bible study. We don't, we've pushed it away. But sin is real. Satan is real. And if we don't address it sometimes, how many times does somebody say to you, well, I don't have to really worry. I'm a good person. I didn't kill anybody. And I didn't steal any money from the bank, so I'm, I'm okay. Well, we, we still have some things to work on. And what is it that we need to work on? And during the course of RCIA, that's, that's when we start to look inward, into the heart. That's a very difficult place to be sometimes because it's just us and God. There's nobody else there. There's no other noise. There's no other chatter. And if you want to be honest and get right with God, you need to spend that time right there. That's what we try to encourage in RCIA, for people to have that time alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I agree with you. It's very important to address the question of sin, the question of evil in the world, the question of evil in ourselves. But there is a danger that that is completely magnified to the extent that we lose a sense of God's mercy and God's love. Right? And I just think that this is an opportunity, especially for catechumens who are about to be received into that mystery of redemption. Right? I mean, after all, that's what the Paschal mystery is. Sure. And, but that's the story of the woman at the well. I mean, ultimately, what she does is she receives that mercy, that forgiveness, that kindness. That's the whole point of the story. And this is one of those stories where I didn't have to go into any serious exegesis on this, I, a little bit, you know, just to get a flavor of where everything was at. But if you listen to the story, and this is, again, a skill set that we try to teach as well, is to be a good proclaimer of God's Word. Because to proclaim that particular passage, it's got to be done well. And if you do it well, and there's that sense of joy and understanding that God is right there forgiving her at that moment in time, it's exciting. God has come to her, changed her life. God has come to these two people and come into her RCA, changed their life. God came to my buddy Bob, who passed away, absolutely changed his life, and how many other people? So that's the joy. That's the magnitude of God's love, really. And that was really your concluding note, right? You moved from the RCIA, OCIA candidates to the community. Like, the story of the woman at the well is not just about Bill and Sue, <laughs> but it's the story of everybody of in us. this congregation and how important it is to, you know, while we've named the catechumens in the homily, the homily is ultimately for all. And I think that's a good point for anybody who is, I'll use your term because I've used it before, a homiletician or a homilist, and that is to always use the inclusive language. It's not that for all of you people who are sinners, the finger goes this way, <laughs> for all of us who are sinners, for all of us who need God's mercy, for all of us who are invited to this particular table, is to be inclusive to everybody who's around you and to understand that at any given Mass, at any given time, we never know who's sitting in that congregation. I try to explain that to the fellows all the time in class. You know, the priest has to be a man of communion. 
has to understand who it is that he has in front of him and to be cognizant of that fact. So as a preacher, it's a great responsibility. I'm sure you can appreciate this. I did take the opportunity to look you up on YouTube. I heard you preach a couple of homilies. And <laughs> I wanted to see what you were about, you know? <laughs> but realistically, as a preacher, you know what the sword of Damocles is? Mm-hmm. The sword that comes down and, if, you know, you don't get out of the way, it cuts you in half, you know? That's kind of like every Monday morning when you know that by Saturday, you've got to have a homily put together. And it's your preparation and you're listening and that sword's coming closer and closer. And man, if Thursday afternoon you're sitting there going, my goodness, Lord, I need a word. Come on, give me something here. God has never failed. He always comes up with what has to be said. And often enough, again, I tell my students, what's written here on this piece of paper is on a piece of paper. What comes out of the preacher's mouth, that's God-inspired. That's the spirit enters into it. And there are sometimes I've written a homily and I look at it and I go, Lord, this is the best I could do this week. It was a heck of a week, you know? But as I always say, walking into the church, I go, Lord, I am about to come into your house. I have what I have. I prepared the best of my ability. Give me your words. It's got to be your word that comes to the people today. Let me feed your people with your word. God's always been there. Steve, before I give you an opportunity to say anything more about my preaching, I, I think you're, <laughs> you're the first one that's told me they've looked me up, which is terrifying. <laughs> I want to thank you for this opportunity to share with us your thoughts on this first scrutiny and especially the wisdom that you have gleaned from your own life, from being a cab driver right through to now as a teacher of preachers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Michael O'Brien offered production assistance. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the show. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschitz Studio in New York City. And if you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can follow me on X and Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. Finally, if you're feeling like your prayer life could use a little boost this Lent and you haven't yet subscribed to America, now's the perfect time. For just $5.99 a month, immerse yourself in our daily reflections on scripture delivered straight to your inbox. You'll also get a daily newsletter and you'll be advised of special events and more. Whether it's from me, one of my colleagues or America's writers, you'll receive a daily reflection that ignites your spirit and deepens your connection to God. Become a digital subscriber today and support our work on Preach and all we do at America. We wish you a very blessed Lent. For America Media, I'm Ricardo de Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into Scripture? 
If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.